Well, and not only did this relate to the general topic of weakening superlatives, which I talk about extensively in the book, but also differences between UK and American English. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryant, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Today, Paul tells me about an email correspondence he had with a reader who grew up in the UK. I frequently hear from people um, with suggestions for my website, sometimes criticizing what I have to say or uh, suggesting additions. And this particular exchange that I wanted to go into today uh, came from uh, someone who had just started off as a pretty simple exchange and developed something that I found quite interesting. Uh, his name is Michael Boddington in Laos, uh, but his background is in the United Kingdom, UK, Britain. So he uh, wrote to me, and I'm kind of like you read his inquiries and uh, statements, and then I'll I'll read my replies. Uh, Michael writes, Dear Paul, do you deal with the use of the word quite? It has a different meaning in the UK to the USA, and this can cause confusion on both sides of the Atlantic. She is quite pretty in UK means that she is okay, but not a stunner. It means average. In the USA, it means that she is very pretty. So when someone recommends a restaurant in UK with the words, it is quite good, be prepared to be disappointed, whereas in USA, it will mean this is a gourmet establishment. In UK, it can move up the scale in meaning in expressions such as, I quite agree, which may be shortened simply to quite or quite so, when it means, I am in total agreement. and Had I said, it has quite a different meaning in the UK to the USA, that would mean it comes within the last-named category. We have to make distinctions here according to whether we are speaking to guests from UK or USA. With all best wishes, Mike. Okay, so I just replied briefly to, thanks for the note. This is interesting, but I don't usually comment on UK-US differences unless they lead to common errors. For instance, if a substantial number of UK writers were using quite in its American sense for a UK audience, is that the case? And would that be considered an error or simply confusing? This is typical of the way I deal with these queries. I need to find out not only what the person's saying uh, is bothering them. I want to find out if it's really something that bothers other people too, and I have to do some more research on it. So I was trying to follow it up here. And you hear back from Mike, Dear Paul, no, I can't claim that. I am well acquainted with the difference, but almost nobody else is. It is as well, since we have a guest house and get a reasonable quota of American citizens who give praise in such terms, quite nice, quite good, quite interesting, etc., and we could think that we were being damned with faint praise, 
were it not that we understand these differences. Actually, if an English person said something like, that meal is quite delicious, it would mean in the totally sense, whilst quite tasty would mean in the average sense. So it is a word that is highly nuanced. Right. Interesting to note that he uses a Britishism there. Whilst is very antique in American English. People just don't normally use it. We say, wow. British people say it all the time. It really surprised me because I, I thought of that as something kind of pretentious, but it's really standard British English. Mm-hmm. Well, I wrote back. Interesting. There used to be an old stereotype of the upper class Englishman who, when agreeing with someone, would say, quite, quite comically understated as a form of agreement, partly because of the tone used. Was that just a movie cliché, or did people used to use quite to mean yes in this way? You might find my entry, blog entry on Brilliant and Britain interesting. Man. And Mike writes back to you. Dear Paul, guilty, mea culpa. Yes, as a young man, I somehow slipped into the habit of saying quite when I meant yes. That is more than 50 years ago, but I still remember it because I was attending an agricultural college and had agriculturally oriented youths rubbing shoulders with me. They mocked my middle class accent with quite, quite, and that made me drop it. It comes from quite so, which in turn comes from I quite agree. Thank you for your direction to Brilliant in Britain. Brilliant. Yes, you are quite right. I have watched over my lifetime, spent many in the UK, but with long periods elsewhere in the world, words migrate through meanings, and was most specially impressed at one time in Australia with the common application of awesome. US certainly has no monopoly on that. It seems to have slid out of fashion now. Words like cool appear to have long innings, and can sometimes have exactly the same meaning as hot. Or other words, such as bad, get deployed for a short time in youth culture to mean exactly the opposite. Did you see Jimmy dancing? He was bad, man, bad. Hip and hep seem to come and go. Resident now in Laos, I can tune in one channel on my car radio in English that comes from the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. A current trend there is for politicians being interviewed to introduce every response with the word look. I've noticed that if I open up to the transcript of a British or US TV interview, say on Democracy Now!, all of the responses appear to start with the word well. Where does that come from? I guess it's a filler of which the ultimate example is the is a British footballer being interviewed after the game. Interviewer. You must have been thrilled to score the winning goal there, Jimmy. Footballer. Ah, yeah, it was like, um, over the moon, you know. It was like, I mean, you know. Of course, if he has a strong regional accent, it is hard to even discern those words out of the melee. But it can be more entertaining than listening to a post-match interview with a tennis player. Modulation is not a technique known to them, especially the women. How does a whole group of people acquire such identical characteristics, which appears to have nothing to do with winning tennis matches? Best wishes, Mike. Okay, so uh, there's a lot of points there about um, moving in another direction. I have no idea if, um, I, since I'm not a don't don't watch tennis matches myself, I, and much less follow post 
post-match interviews to know uh, whether mod. I'll just take it on his word that modulation is not there. Is not is not something that they're known for. Well, he referred to my uh, blog post on mm-hmm. Brilliant, and this is something I picked up from watching a lot of British television shows um, here. By the way, uh, recently uh, my cable box has added the ability to use closed captioning and we turn it on sometimes when we're watching a British detective show or something so we can figure out what people are saying even after decades of listening to a lot of different dialects in Britain it can be very hard for American ears to pick up what's going on but I began to notice the usage of uh, brilliant or the use of brilliant in a very wide variety of contexts and so i did some research on it and found that other people in britain had been doing it too uh, that is commenting on it so the, the blog entry is called brilliant in britain i watch a lot of british movies and television set in modern times especially doctor who and i've recently noticed that brilliant seems to be a favorite adjective in all kinds of contexts originally brilliant meant brightly shining or glittering then it was widely used in various metaphorical ways. A dazzlingly intelligent person would be said to have a brilliant mind, which produced brilliant ideas. A blindingly lovely young lady could make a brilliant debut at a ball, or a musician could make a brilliant debut on a concert stage. Certain bits of cut glass are referred to as brilliance. It used to be common to speak of a party or other social occasion featuring spectacular guests as brilliant. But in contemporary UK English, the word can mean outstanding, cool, or simply okay. The Oxford English Dictionary traces what it calls the weakened use of the word to the early 1970s, where an article in Studies in English noted that speakers might refer to anything admirable or even mildly pleasing as brilliant. And I started searching the web, just looking for examples of particularly feeble brilliance, and this is what I came up with. This grilled cheese sandwich is brilliant. I handed my train ticket to the conductor and he handed it back and said, brilliant. I thought, gee, do others not know how to hand a ticket to a conductor? In the 1980s, young UK speakers began to abbreviate the word to brill. It is also used sarcastically to mean stupid or even catastrophic. You poured dog food in your cereal bowl, brilliant. You drove the car into the duck pond, Brilliant. In fact, the word has been so overused that it would not be surprising if negative usage were more common now than positive. British brilliant in its weak and positive senses means almost the same thing as awesome in U.S. English, where the word is almost never used to describe anything truly awe-inducing. Want ranch dressing on your salad? Awesome. An older synonym revived in the U.K. is super, which has the same range of meanings, except for the negative one. In the U.S., super usually functions as a prefix in slang, as in super tired or super excited. In an earlier era, British splendid, which originally meant almost the same thing as brilliant, went through a similar weakening to mean merely acceptable. All of this reminds me of another recent usage in both the U.K. and U.S., which I wrote up on my website, genius as an adjective. It is so common among young people that many of them are probably unaware that it is considered slang by older English speakers. 
An article in the New York Times in 1995 traced the adjectival use of genius to the fashion world. I'd be interested in hearing of any earlier examples. I was visiting my in-laws several years ago, and uh, an old friend of theirs from the UK was visiting. And one thing that the U.S. has that um, the U.K. has not traditionally had is large department stores with inexpensive clothing, uh, you know, everyday clothing that, that you can buy at reasonable prices. And um, uh, they had just been out shopping, and um, she came back to the house and announced to everyone, Mervyn's is brilliant. <laughs> and uh, Mervyn's, of course, is now is now defunct. We don't see Mervyn's anymore, but it was a standard issue, uh, largely clothing department store. And, uh, it, it, there were several of them all around. It was, it it was was a small big box store and it, and it was very ordinary. And the last thing I might've expected anybody to say about Mervyn's is that it was brilliant. Well, and not only did this relate to the general topic of weakening superlatives, which I talk about extensively in the book, but also differences between UK and American English. I try to note that as often as possible. And I often hear back from people saying, well, here in Canada, we tend to go the American way on this expression, but with the UK on other expressions, Australians also sometimes have different patterns. And even even occasionally I've heard from a South African. So there's a lot of Englishes out there. And I try to note them when I run up against them, if I can confirm them. Um, but I don't go into all of the uh, different expressions between uh, UK and Britain because a lot of them are are not things that are going to strike anybody as an error. Uh, they can be entertaining, like the, the famous one that gets used. I don't know if this is really British expression that when somebody says they'll come and, and uh, fetch you in the morning, they say, I'll knock you up in the morning. Mm. Well, that means something very different in America, but I don't know if British people really say that anymore, but it gets cited all the time when people discuss mm-hmm. this sort of thing. Then there are the spelling differences like T-Y-R-E for T-I-R-E. Well, it turns out that they're largely uh, British people are adopting the American spelling in that one. Then there are others. And I, now, I'm not sure of this, but my impression is that the, uh, the expression one-off was mainly British until fairly recently, and now it's used everywhere in American written. Something that is unique is called mm, one I haven't, uh, I was not aware of that. Yeah, I first ran into it when I was doing a annotations for Salman Rushdie's novel, The Satanic Verses. I spent five years on it, and it's full of allusions to many different things, movies and literary works, um, there are all kinds of puns, sometimes trilingual puns. There's things from Arabic, Sanskrit, uh, British English, American English, all, all kinds of stuff. And it, each page has a, usually typically about a half dozen things that need to be footnoted for you to fully appreciate what he's doing with the language, which is the reason that this big best-selling book never got finished by most of the people that started mm-hmm. reading it. So I decided to do an annotations for it in great detail, and including some help that, uh, helpful feedback from Rushdie himself when I finished, where he filled in a few gaps. But um, in that, I, I noticed the expression one-off for the first time, 
and it was something completely new to me. And then once I noticed it, I began to see it popping up in American English more and more and more. And now it's become almost universal. I don't think uh, it seems strange to, to almost anybody. But when I hear it, I always think. Oh, I see. So the origins of that, I I know that it's a little, it's a more recent expression. It's not one that I used to hear in my childhood. All right. Another one that's in that novel that I kind of like is uh, the penny drops. Mm. And it's a sort of shortened expression. The original idea is there's some kind of a mechanism like a gumball machine or maybe a mechanical organ or something else where you have to put a coin in, make it operate, and nothing happens until the penny rolls its way through and drops, and finally the action starts. And it's used when somebody is uh, not quite catching on to something, not understanding what's going mm-hmm. on, and suddenly it dawns on them, we would say, and a British person might say, ah, the penny yes. drops. Yes, <laughs> and I, I first became aware of that expression, um, not in English, but in Turkish. Um, for I briefly lived in Turkey for um, j- just about a year, and um, uh, my Turkish students wanted to introduce me to a Turkish expression that I could use uh, at some appropriate moment. I learned just enough Turkish that I could work it into a conversation. And it was the translation of that very expression. Uh, in Turkish, ah. jeton duşte, the, the token dropped. Yeah, finally wow. caught on. I do want to give credit again to Mike for having initiated this whole exchange on uh, his brilliant. <laughs> okay, excellent. And we want to hear from other correspondents, too. So we actually have an email address for correspondence to the podcast. It's commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. If you're listening to this and you have something that you want to add to the conversation, please send it in. That'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.